Hi, this is Pam Electric Ghost. Is um, Evelyn Kahn on the line? Uh, yes, this is her. Okay, great. So um, just to give everybody a preview, I'm Pam Electric Ghost. I interview artists from around the world. We've been doing it for about two years. And we have Evelyn Kahn on, on the line. You're from L.A.? Uh, I'm not from L.A., but I'm currently based in L.A. Okay, yeah. I, I was reading your, um, well, you're a classically trained progressive deep house music producer and DJ. Yeah. And um, you know, your, um, your write-up on your website talks about how you have like a brooding, mel- melancholic, classic like sound. And you were kind of like techno-centric, but you kind of used uh, different things where you get into the soulful deep house from Eastern Europe. And then you brought in like dark, groovy bass and you have your own vocals and you have this kind of deep tech progressive uh, niche. That's a little, it's very interesting because um, I'm an electronic music musician myself. So I, I appreciate what you're doing. It's kind of like sound paintings. Yeah. Yeah. Like Hendrix brought that term up during Electric Ladyland when to describe what he was doing. And I think uh-huh. it actually it describes a lot of electronic music can be described by like the idea of like a sound painting Um, yeah so yeah let's just talk uh about your music um so i'm glad you joined us and um the typical questions we ask um we 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 sent you the questions but the first one we always ask is like when did you first get into music and at what age um so i started playing the piano when i was like eight years old and then i continued doing that for um about eight years and then um I went to college and kind of like put that to rest for a little bit um and then I after college um I moved to Ukraine and I started getting into like underground house music um and then I wanted to like DJ and then I got into production so I picked up I picked up making music for the first time um i think like six years ago so so when you um started to make music did you work within like the digital audio workstation format or did you actually go to physical studios what how did you do that um so i started off in ableton um i took like a beginner's class uh i was living in boston at the time and i took a class there and um then I think it was like a year later, I moved into Logic Pro X. And um, sometimes I'll bounce into Ableton a little bit, but I predominantly use Logic. That's interesting. So do you primarily use the soft sense that are in the plugins that are within digital audio workstations? Or do you bring in like other instruments? Like like I'm, I'm an electronic musician. I like to use like analog Mogs and yeah, like Jupiter 106s, and I'm kind of an analog guy, so there's kind of a new kind of trend to go a little backwards and use the analog. So, are you primarily using digital plugins in Logic, or are you bringing in instruments? Um, so I do a little bit of both. I mean, I think that there's a lot of great VSTs out there. Um, I don't necessarily use a lot of them that are built into Logic, although I've gone through them and they, there are some great VSTs there. Um, but I use like the Arturia VSTs, um, Omnisphere, mm-hmm. um, I think like Zebra. I use Machine for like all of my drums. 
And then I have um, a few analog synths as well. Um, and yeah, I think that there's definitely a progression back to analog synths because it, it brings uh, the musicality back to making music. You know, it's not staring at a screen. You can like kind of get into a groove and yeah, um, be like inspired. I, I'm moment. like heavily into modes and like, you know, modular modes and Eurorex. Yeah. Just because what I find is um, they tend to give you a different sound palette every time you approach them. Yeah. And yeah. and you can kind of create your own sounds, your own timbres. You know, you can create them from scratch. And, yeah. And that feels like very authentic. And I know mm-hmm. what you can do in the DAWs, you can do the same thing. Um, yeah. But, but is there something about using the knobs on a Moog? yeah <laughs> that that just you know feels like when Hendrix was touching like a fender strat you know or a telecaster it just feels like that is something about being a musician and using a musical instrument whether it's a moog or a jupiter 8 or something it's just that's where i'm at right now but um i i totally understand that the cdjs and the in the dj world and a lot of things are going on in modern music but you know moog invented moogs to be played yeah physically and so and and there is a big resurgence in Moog. they've created a lot of new instruments um so i think it's very exciting to have a mixture of both you know i use a teenage engineering opz with a Moog mm-hmm. by the 32 oh nice nice <laughs> and so you know and then i've recorded to a zoom r24 i yeah. I, I stay outside of the DAW. i, I yeah. do everything into like an r24 but you know the different ways of doing things so i i love to talk to different musicians to talk about like their approach so when you were getting into this the scene you said when you got into the eastern european scene or the european scene music scene who were your influences and what really triggered you to get into that um so i would say so i kind of grew up listening to a lot of pop music and classical music um so whenever i had moved to ukraine i was kind of getting into like edm a little bit yeah um like dead mouse and stuff like that um which i think is like kind of poppy electronic music um so i started uh really liking um like maceo plex uh i think he had come out with life index at the time mm-hmm. um like maya jane cole's art department um which i think was a good bridge between the two the two genres um, so that's essentially like how I got into underground house music. So it was uh, it was with like people like that. So what what are your feelings about like like EDM? Sometimes some people have said that EDM um, it, it's really interesting and there's a lot of energy in it, but it could fall into the trap of like the drop and the structure of EDM songs. Sometimes to me, kind of replicate like disco in a way that if you get locked into a structure then then sometimes you, the, the innovation kind of goes away and it seems like it's it's more interesting when you mix genres like if you if you mix genres if you don't stay i know i understand that like dubstep techno there's certain genres that have a certain structure and to stay in that genre you kind of do that but i've always been the kind of a guy that likes musicians that cross genres yeah and i think it's more interesting and it's not as pure like you know original folk music people hated Dylan because he, he was crossing 
folk with rock. Yeah. And you're like, oh, we can't do that. But then Dylan became in this big icon, you know, because he was willing to cross country and blues and rock all together. Yeah. And so I think like people have to remember that the purest, you know, booed Dylan at the Newport, you know, folk festival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got booed in London at Royal Albert Hall. So <laughs> and nobody would think that a guy like Dylan, who's such an icon, would, would that would happen to him. But that, you know, that happened to happen to Prince with the Rolling Stones, you know, yeah. for the Rolling Stones, it was booed. So, yeah. like, so I think sometimes you have to be willing to take the risk to move forward in genres and, and, and take whatever you think works, you know, as a musician. Yeah. But, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think it's I think it's really important to know your genre. And, um, but I think it's also, um, kind of like a trap if you just get stuck and only listening to the music that's in your genre, I think it's important to get inspiration from many different genres of music. And I mean, ultimately having been a DJ for like many years, um, I've noticed that, you know, like whenever you're going through songs and stuff you can hear a hundred tracks that sound the same and you'll play those hundred tracks. Like they're good tracks, um, but they're not necessarily memorable. And the people that end up standing out are the people that bring something new to the table, you know? So yeah, that's, that's, I think think that's the trap that musicians kind of fall into to be popular. Yeah. You can, you know, you you happen to bubblegum music, it happened to disco, it happened to rock, you know, if you get too too much into the formula, you can get popular, but you can burn it out. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So I definitely, yeah, I think it's important to know your genre, but I also think it's important to not be so stuck in it that, you know, you're going to sound like the other thousands of people that are trying to do the same thing. And I mean, ultimately, you end up just copying something that someone else came up yeah. with and did. So. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting, you know, about the, the way the world is today, where there's so many choices as a musician. Like, yeah. You, know, you, you, could, you could be in logic, you know, and then you could have a Moog. You could mm-hmm. have somebody playing like a cello, and you could sample, you know, whatever you want. I mean, you can, you don't just have to sample vinyl or something on tape. You could sample like a, a live instrument, you know. Yeah. You could you can run through all these different capabilities you have today, where you're not just. There's a lot of people that will just go and like I've been working with some guys who are like big into Eurorax. They'll sample their their Eurorax, yeah, and then, and then rerun that. Then they kind of use the ability of having a sample and do the time shifting and time warping to create like rhythm rhythms that are not you know taken from somebody else. They they actually came from their own work. Yeah. So I think that's that's what's exciting today is that you can actually build things without having to pull somebody else's idea. I mean, you could be have a reference point that is somebody else's idea, and maybe start there, but kind of come up with your own thing. Yeah. I think that's yeah. I think that's really cool. So, so one of the other things we like to talk about is now we talked about that you use a DAW, you use um, Logic Pro. Um, have you worked in recording studios? Do you primarily work from home in your home studio? 
Um, so I've been very fortunate enough over the past, like, I think it's been like two or three years to have a room dedicated in my apartment that I can, uh, use for, um, music. Um, I have been in a few like professional studios, um, but I, I generally just use your own my production at home. Well, that is a big trend. I mean, I've talked to rock and roll bands. I mean, I've talked to indie rock bands. And yeah, everybody's, you know, using like the even a rock band that's like traditional guitar, bass, drum. They're you know they're using Logic Pro or they're using Ableton, and they're in their in their garage or their basement or their area, and they're, and they're recording their albums, um, without having to go to the studio. So that's kind of given a lot of people the power to you know don't have to go to Sound City, don't have to go to Olympia. You can actually do it, and that that I think is a big. Um, Plus, but then there there is you know some somewhat to say that a recording engineer is, is an art to be in a recording engineer. That's, oh yeah, I mean it's a totally it's a totally different thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a completely different thing. It's it's not it's separate from like composing music and yeah, yeah. you know producing it. Like engineering music is this whole other thing. Yeah, so I mean, when, as, when you do your home studio, do you, when you put that hat on and you're recording, you know, it's a different, like, uh, what, you know, you write your original music, but then when you have to master it or do the recording engineering or, do, you know, the different choices you make as a producer, um, do you find, that they, you know, maybe talk about the difference between, like, as an artist, you come up with a song, but then as a producer, you can sometimes, like, deconstruct a song and then rewrite it. So have you found yourself like wearing those hats and have different like opinions on, you know, did, did you like your demo better than what you ended up doing later? Or do you like what you did with it? <laughs> um, well, I, I think that like, um, there's definitely like whenever I'm writing a song, I try to just put down as much stuff as quickly as possible. So maybe in, the final process like whenever you're really tightening up the track and like trying to get it ready to send out to labels you'll be you know bringing in sounds and really working on sounds that you want in the track um i have noticed in some cases where like sometimes i'll do a few versions of a track and then i'll end up sending uh one out to a label and getting it signed and stuff and then i'll go back to the first version and i'm like oh wow i kind of I kind of like this one better. Yeah, I find as an artist, I've talked to artists like for the last two years, and a lot of artists, you know, you go through because you're an artist and you'll make multiple versions of something, and yeah. you know, and you, you, you kind of torture yourself trying to tighten and perfect it. But sometimes the honesty and the originality of that first version, yeah. Sometimes you know, I've gone back and listened to stuff and like, like and like, wow, that really caught what i was feeling and then when i tried to rework it i kind of started to degrade the feeling yeah <laughs> and i've seen like a lot of like well rock bands will, will say that a lot it was like you know we approached it the first time and then we like well we gotta tighten it up but it's like that first version it's kind of like neil young and crazy horse if you ever heard yeah. that that kind of looseness of crazy horse compared to when he did something like when he does like his more nashville kind of uh, you know, harvest stuff that's really tight. Yeah. But then the, the the stuff like Rust Never Sleeps, it's very raw and very punk. And sometimes that punk rawness of that 
kind of sloppiness or whatever, just the initial, like, un, uh, you know, you didn't go back and fix it. But sometimes fixing something kind of wrecks it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I think ultimately, like, music is a translation of emotion. And I especially notice this whenever I'm, like, recording vocals, you know, like, and sometimes it's kind of a trap because I'll start, I'll start recording vocals, like, an idea first, you know, and then I have, like, this emotion that I'm putting into the vocals, and uh, then I go back and I try to replicate that, and it's basically impossible. Yeah. um, Even sometimes, like, playing an instrument like the first time you do it like you're feeling it you know and then you try to go back and you're not necessarily feeling it you're more focused on replicating it and maybe concentrating a little bit too hard on replicating the emotion which i don't know in most yeah cases, it's like not... a, yeah i think what happens like if you think about it like you're a, a guitar player or acoustic guitar right and you put down a demo and it's just you and your guitar in the mic that first demo take of you on the guitar and the mic really sounds great a lot of times i mean a lot of times that demo is very good uh, when you refine it yeah it becomes radio edit it becomes you know, professional but a lot of people when they go back and listen to you know famous artists it, like you know you, go, you can talk about dylan you can talk about uh you know neil young or any you know great great artists you know bruce Springsteen, you yeah. know, classic guys you listen to their demos and they're like this demo is actually better than the song oh yeah well <laughs> i think i think a lot of artists and i've noticed this like in moments in my life as well like uh you can get caught up in chasing perfection which ultimately is unattainable and i mean if you go down that rabbit hole you can go down really deep and yeah. i think if you start to realize that the the beauty and the honesty is in the the imperfectionism yeah then then you can start creating stuff that's like really cool and very original and honest and it conveys whatever you want to convey you know yeah i wonder about that like in electronic music i've sometimes run into people that maybe take too much advice from their dog like if their dog is telling them that their key changes are not correct right because it's not it's like it's looking at your stuff in kind of a very agnostic kind of you know anesthetic way yeah but if you're you know you go back to the old days of the rock bands you know sometimes those key changes that might not be technically correct or what you should do actually make the song (laughs) oh yeah and if if you if you let the dog tell you that you shouldn't mix that that scale you shouldn't do that that run that way because it's not technically what it is suggesting i've told yeah. people like maybe you shouldn't pay attention to that i mean you can listen to that but you like make your artistic sensibility choice as a human being <laughs> well i think if you're if you're doing music i think you know you ultimately have to trust yourself you know and yeah. you have to trust your gut instinct and hopefully you're not tone deaf so yeah <laughs> you know yeah. If, if things sound good they sound good and you know if you're breaking some rules or whatever like whatever it sounds good and i think sometimes breaking rules or you know making weird sounds or maybe bringing in a note that's not in the key like it can create a very original voice which as i was saying earlier before is really important 
yeah. when creating music. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, like there's a, a real famous example, like Hendrix bringing feedback into the world of guitars. The recording engineers wanted to edit it all out. Yeah. And they said it, was, it wasn't correct. But, you know, Hendrix stood his ground and said, no, that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> and, a, <laughs> and a lot of times Hendrix had to actually get on the console and, and actually when they went to mastering, like keep his original edits because the engineers kept on trying to change it. Yeah. Oh, that's um, super interesting. Yeah, it's very because he was an innovator. So, we, so Sunday was such an innovator, and he was doing stuff that was nobody had heard before. And was, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, yeah, I think that is the key to music. Is that when somebody tells you, "Well, you shouldn't do that," a lot of times you'd be like, "You probably should keep on doing." That. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, given the history of music, like there's a big history of people saying, "Oh, you should, that would never go anywhere. You shouldn't do that." Um, you know, and, and it's always seemed to be the people who said you shouldn't do that were yeah. totally, totally wrong. You know, like French, like with Kiss, Warner Brothers said, you, you, that's a demo. You, <laughs> you shouldn't put that out. It's yeah. not finished. Yeah. You know, same thing with like Dove's Cry. They said, oh, that wasn't finished. They were totally wrong, you know. Yeah. But, but you know, it's, it's, there's a big history of that. Multiple genres, you know, you know, going to punk music and everything. Like fans like Who's to Do, they're like, they did stuff like, 24 hours they recorded something in a, in a garage and yeah. then, you know their, their label was like i don't know if we should put it out and they were like put it out the way it is and and it became a classic you know a five-star record uh but but you know it's hard to stand up sometimes as an artist when you've got people telling you like that you know have experience there are been in the business a long time mm-hmm. and, and they want to tell you what it should be but that's not where your heart is, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, d- I definitely think it's good to always, like, you know, get as much knowledge from your peers as possible or, you know, from people that are where you want to be. Like, I think it's important to always have this sort of growth mindset. So, you know, definitely keep your brain open to advice that people are giving you, but also, like, you know, you have to you have to believe in yourself and what you're doing. And if you feel like something's right, then, you know, you got to just go for it. Yeah. So I was looking at your, your albums, like your, well, your EPs, you have, you have, you have Sin, uh, Babel and Haze. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you working on something for 2019? Yeah, I actually I have a bunch of stuff that's done. Um, I'm in the process of getting um, a few things signed right now. Uh, sometimes it's kind of a lengthy process to to do that and then get stuff released. Um, but I have a few EPs that are finished and then I'm working on some more stuff right now, um, doing a few collaborations. So yeah, I was going to ask about that. That was one of the questions. Like when you collab with people, are you collabing with people within your genre or like outside of your genre? Um, so m- the majority has been like inside. Um, I just, finished a track with um this artist in berlin called jeppe and um he is like kind of inside he had um i did vocals for a track and um it wasn't like my exact style it was a little bit outside um but i still really liked doing it it was still like in the house genre you know That's cool. um yeah so, so, so when but- you did that collab was it all between like sending tapes through the through the net and going into your dawn and it's going into the his dawn 
going back and forth, or did you physically meet? Oh no, we couldn't. We couldn't meet because he's in Berlin. But um, yeah. yeah, he sent me some like MIDI files, and then I did some recording and sent it back to him. And yeah, everything was through the internet, which is, I mean, it's super cool that you can yeah. do that. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I did that with this uh, an artist in uh, Los Angeles. I lived in New Hampshire. And I, we were sending files through the net. Yeah. And she was working at FL Studio, and I was doing my hardware workflow. So she would do stuff in FL Studio, and then I'd bring stuff into my Zooms. And so I'd get her files and bring them into my, you know, overdub them into my R24. And it was just, you know, it was, it was interesting that we we had, like, Skype sessions where we'd have live discussions to kind of talk about where we were on the songs. Because they gave us a little bit of, like, uh, uh, like you know like we were in the same place yeah but, but but you know we found that 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 was kind of cool we've always been looking to see like would ableton or pro tools ever create like a a live studio capability where where you could actually have somebody in berlin somebody in the netherlands somebody in the u.s in their in their instance and actually do stuff real time that would be so cool but you know i guess we're not there yet <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's gonna happen. I mean, the, I used um, I I was collaborating with um, someone a few years ago, and we um, used Splice to like send our projects back and forth. Mm-hmm. Super yeah. convenient. And then we do like, um, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the same as like being in the same room with somebody, but we'd use Skype and then yeah. share the screen to work. Yeah, that's um, what I've been looking for somebody to actually do a full integration like into FL Studio or into Ableton with that kind of capability. Which yeah. Is, like, you know, I, it's been a dream of mine. To, I think that would be very cool because then yeah. you could do, you know, international collaborations with like all kinds of artists, you know, in real time. If there wasn't a lag, you know, you could, you have some really cool stuff you could do, you know. Oh, Totally. But, you know, that's a future thing. But I don't think we're that far off. I think we're probably pretty close to it. Oh, yeah. I don't think so either. And I think, you know, the more uh, the more that people demand it, you know, the the engineers are going to listen. <laughs> yeah. I think that will happen sooner than later. And yeah. that will be a really cool moment because I think it will – because I think that's, that's one of the core things that, you know, that we kind of lost a little bit. You know, because I used to be in, you know, bands, physical bands that would be in the basement, in the garage or whatever practice area. And th- there's something about when you're actually playing live with somebody in a group. Yeah. That if you have a real drummer, like I can put something down on my 808. Yeah. Or, or, or my 727 or something or, you know, on, on, a, on a, you know, any of the great drum machines. You can put it down. And then when a real drummer gets it, they do something that, you know, they're a drummer. Yeah, <laughs> and a real drummer can do stuff that nobody, no machine can do, and, and they can interpret stuff and you know change your song, and they, they usually change it for the better. And the same thing like a real bass player, like a, like you put your bass down on TBO three or you put it down in whatever you're putting it, but somebody actually can play a bass. Yeah, it, it gets your bass line and then enhances it. You know. Yeah, it, I think that is that is still something that's worthwhile when you collaborate with people that are that, you know, musician with that instrument that they just bring that ability to um, an interpretation of your idea. And in the real time interaction, I think there's always, it's great to, to be able to do that. When oh you- yeah, totally. 
which are, you know, you hope that when the people play live that they get to in situations if you play festivals where you can kind of kind of vibe off of people and do collabs like in real time with other other musicians. That's always like the place you can do that. But so do you have like live shows you're gonna be doing in the next year? Um, I don't have anything planned as of yet. Um, I think taking things live, especially like whenever you're doing every single element in the track is mm-hmm. definitely um, it's definitely an endeavor. Um, I would definitely like to um, do that in the future. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Or yeah, kind of rig you like, need to do it to do that. <laughs> yeah, or at least starting to like incorporate some live elements. I mean, like I've been thinking about like you know starting to do like the vocals from my tracks live, or you know maybe like some some of the synths that I use or something like this. Um, but I think, yeah, I would love to do it. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I think it would take a lot of practice and work. Yeah. To, yeah, it's one, thing, that. yeah it's one of the things is like as the you know, artist i am is like my whole kind of stick is that i'm a one person band yeah and i i come off with with my i got an led outfit i dress up like a ghost <laughs> and and <laughs> but i've got hardware sense and i i take advantage of like sequencers and foot pedals and and so i'll have tracks that are already sequenced yeah but then i'll like live play like a moog lead line or a live play the drums, or a live play the bass. I kind of change it up when I do a live performance. Like, like I'll go to New York, go to a club, and then I've got like my Rollins and my Moogs and everything. But I've got all these sequencers, you know, analog sequencers and digital sequencers. And I take advantage of you know licking up the foot pedals, and I can kind of kind of be like a jazz guy. I can just you know I can do the song straight, or I can yeah. change it. And then, you know, I'll play lead lines or like lead pads off of Jupiter's and stuff. And it's just, you know, you kind of go out there. It's like, yeah, I have the original song and I can kind of run it as it was. Or I can go out and kind of play it different. Because if I'm going to play it live, I usually don't play it exactly the same. Yeah. And then you get less stress because you're not trying to play the song exactly the way you wrote it. Yeah. You play it the way you feel that night. Like I feel like doing a heavy bass line on it. I'd do it that way. If I want to do a heavy guitar, I'll do it that way. Like you just change it. So then you put less stress on yourself because you just say, well, I'm just going to enjoy playing. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. And I mean, I think that that also brings some like newness and excitement to, um, I mean, if people like come because they're familiar with your music and they're coming to see you, you know, they, they like the tracks that you've been producing, like, you know, it can it can bring like a nice flavor to a show. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of cool machines out there now, like you know, like Kai Force, which lets you do a DJ kind of show, but then you can kind of you can actually play the pads and run stuff live. Yeah. So it's not like a CDJ; you can actually play chords and lead lines on the pads. Oh, nice! And, and so that device, and you can do CV control. And MIDI control of multiple instruments. And so that control scheme, and not that I'm a pushing for, you know, that company, but, you know, like even Teenage Engineering, the OPZ, you can do a lot of cool stuff with that live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, if you have a little thing like an OPZ or using the Kai Forest or MPC, 
uh, it allows you to, to do live performances of one as one person. There's a lot of devices out there now that allow you to, to do it without, you know, just doing a CDJ. You can actually play your material. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think a lot of like, I know a lot of like underground artists now are kind of, well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's changed in the sense that, I mean, like, producers like you basically have to produce music in order to leave like your town of gigs you know yeah yeah and so i mean i think the the a-list djs or producers or whatever they produce their own music and i think that they're starting to gravitate more towards doing live sets yeah which is interesting it's definitely much more interesting i think it brings like an excitement to the show that you don't get from somebody just playing cdjs um, yeah i think it goes back to the original like idea of live performance it's like you know you think about guys like hendrix you think of the who zeppelin he just original the old rock bands even progressive bands um you know because i'm i'm a synth player so my, i was like emerson from emerson lake and pump he like a big 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 like he's like my hero and mm-hmm. he would just come on stage with these massive moats these like look like a like a mad scientist and he would just come out and, and play these amazing like classical runs on synths and and just do all this otherworldly stuff with the modulation. And I think, you know, when you see people in in Europe with the Euro racks on stage, the people doing like, you know, very expansive analog synth like modular shows there, they're they're like jazz. They come out and they play different, they play live, they're manipulating their sense that it doesn't sound the same every night kind of like the grateful dead you know people are coming to see people because it's actually different it's actually live it's not exactly what was on the record um yeah i think that it's always going to bring its excitement people would go see the grateful dead over and over because every time they played they played a song different (laughs) and so we went to see them it's like it's not like you're seeing the same show every day yeah, it, it was different. I think people have to realize that you know, fans, music fans. I think they like that. They like to see the virtuosity of a musician. Oh uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think like musicians, you know, really got to realize you don't have to do your song exactly as you wrote it. Yeah. You know, every night, which is boring as a musician. I think you get bored if you play the same every night. Um, <laughs> but you can do it because the fans want it, but. I think it's a little more interesting if you vary it a little bit or, you know, as you get better, you know, different, you know, you can vary it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's cool that, that you're, um, you're, 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 you're out there, you know, thinking that way um, of, of doing a live performance. Cause I think that's the trend today. I think that's where everybody's going is, is being able to actually perform. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think everything is like a gradual movement. I mean, like I started out DJing and then I got, not necessarily bored with it, but I kind of wanted to do more. And, you know, yeah. I'm like a master of production or anything like this. I think I still have so much to learn and I think I'll feel that way for forever. But, you know, I think that there's going to be a natural progression towards, you know, performing live too at some point. And- I think musicians always, you know, you're always like, if you're going to grow as a musician, you always know that there's something you don't know where you want to learn. Oh yeah, and unless you're a cover band that's just gonna keep on playing the same thing every night, um, you, you're gonna if you're a singer songwriter or you're a producer, you've got your own vision. 
you're naturally going to get to a point where you make yourself a little uncomfortable because you're going to try to learn new things, you know, and, and you, you stretch and, you, you know, you might have a failure, but there's nothing wrong as a musician with trying something. And if it doesn't work, okay, at least you're trying it. You know, at least you're trying to go somewhere. Uh, oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, I mean, failure is part of the game. You know, yeah. like, you don't you don't win unless you fail a few times. Yeah, I don't know. People are scared to fail, but that's how how you grow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, yeah, part of part of the thing we do on this show is we also talk about um, um, you know, the idea of um, like where music music is going, and you know, since you're in like a a really modern form of music, you know, you're probably in the genre that's growing, you know along with hip hop, I think electronic music is really growing all over the world. Um, but what are your thoughts about like in the next five years, do you still, do you see it like contracting or still expanding or what do you think? I mean, I think music is, is always going to be here. I mean, music is like a fundamental part of being human, you know, like it's, it's a language that everybody understands. So I think music is going to be with us forever um i think for my genre specifically um it's i would say that it's not popular it's not a popular genre um but i think it's growing and it's getting more popular and you know hopefully it will continue to grow and get more popular um yeah so i think i think the future is bright and positive and yeah well i've seen a lot of popular artists actually incorporating EDM and electronic music into their pop genres. Oh, yeah. So I think that's where, you know, as a producer and a writer, you know, you never know, you get, you might, you know, get a call from, from, from some, you know, big artists to say, well, I like what you're doing and you want to incorporate it because it seems like they're always trying to pull from different things. So there's always, you know, you know, there's all these opportunities, you know, with music, with music, you know, the type of music we, we do, we tend, you know, you could end up getting on a video game soundtrack or a movie soundtrack or a TV or film. Uh, there's a lot of places we can go with the stuff we do. Yeah. Um, so it's a, there's a, it's, it's a wide open genre. It's not just a club scene. There's a, if you get the right people behind you, you can end up getting, you know, placed in places you didn't imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I think. That that is like where we um, I think can really grow our music is like realize that there's you don't just have to be in the bounds of, of a scene, you can get beyond that in, in multiple a- applications of where your music can go. Yeah. So that's that's really exciting. So like you so you, do you have any um target date for your new stuff to come out? Come out? Um, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be up to the label. Sometimes they take a really long time to release music. Um, I think the shortest time period that I've had a label release, uh, an EP is like four months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, there's nothing set in stone yet. Um, but hopefully I'm going to be getting dates soon. So do you, did your music get, um, become available on physical like formats or is it all digital? Um, so far, it's all been digital. Uh, I do like the idea of having something that's, you know, tangible. Um, but I think you have to 
work with like very specific labels that want to invest in doing that because i mean i don't know like the intricacies of yeah um, what that takes but i i I think it's like a lot more expensive and yeah i mean what tends to happen is if you're a live act um having physical vinyl uh, you know on like a micro run yeah i've looked into is like doing like less than a thousand uh of vinyl yeah if you physically tour so if you do like 20 20 a 20 uh city tour and you were able to bring that that thousand copies of your vinyl to each show you actually can make money doing that um at that level if if yeah if you realize that's what you probably can can handle yeah Um, so you don't try to go and do like a hundred thousand or ten thousand you do it at like like a micro level and then your hardcore fans are like like wow they appreciate the fact that they have a physical and vinyl seems to be the thing that people really get keyed on yeah because you can have really good artwork with it yeah it's more it's more personal it you feels can, retro yeah you can style. yeah you can sign it i've even seen people have um the old audio tapes the cassettes which oh, are yeah. actually very yeah, cost yeah. effective those don't cost a lot to do and you can physically get the, your product into the hands of your, your fan yeah at, at a very low rate so you can you know cds can be very expensive because the runs you have to do to to do a cd but vinyl seems to be very good for artists i've talked to that the profit margin on vinyl is very good um oh, interesting so like, if you ever look into it i think fans really like it it's kind yeah. of like, and it, you know I, for the music that we're in it sounds really good yeah if, if you get stuff on vinyl it just has a sound quality that people will be surprised you know compared to the mp3 and the wave file what it ends up sounding like on vinyl it's like very <laughs> very full and ambient and yeah plus it makes you makes your fans sit down and listen to your whole project at once (laughs) (laughs) you know which is kind of what you want to do as an artist like if you have an idea that is longer than one song then you kind of want them to hear it in one you know the whole project and not just pick one or two um so vinyl kind of you know has your fans sit down and actually pay attention to the art (laughs) oh totally totally yeah. I, I definitely think that that's something that's kind of missing nowadays is just, you know, the appreciation because I mean, it takes so long to like so much time is put into music and people don't realize it because there's just such a a massive output of music all the time Yeah, that, you know, people forget to like sit down and appreciate, you know, that it took so many thousands of hours to get to the point where like you were even good enough to like start thinking about <laughs> like, yeah. putting out music and then it took you know however many hours to like or however many tracks that you had to write to you know finally make the track that you were you were satisfied with releasing and stuff like that so yeah, I definitely, I think that, you know, there's definitely a loss with that appreciation with all the digital stuff and sometimes going back to something that's more analog, you know, makes you appreciate it a lot, a lot more. Well, I think the fans appreciate the whole format. Like if you look at it, you know, vinyl, it just has a lot more room for artwork to put you know, like lyrics in, to, to put posters in. It just gives the, your fan an experience that like they can connect with what you're trying to project 
right? Yeah. So as an artist, like if you have a project and you've got a poster, you've got lyrics, you can present it in a way that's very, you know, I think it's fun for the customer, for the fan to actually, you know, get a poster, get get the lyric sheet and actually be able to read it because it's big, uh, you know. That 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 you know I grew, I was a child in the seventies I'm fifty in my fifties and I grew up going to the record store and picking up vinyl yeah I got I got Purple Rain on vinyl oh when nice it came out. yeah <laughs> I rode my bike to the store to get it <laughs> and I sat down and put it on and listened to it the whole way through which like today the problem like you said is like a kid will get a song and they'll just grab a playlist and they don't listen to an entire project. Yeah, um, and I think like if if he had done that with Purple Rain, I mean, Purple Rain's you know that's that, that's the only album. But it's the idea of an album is it's like it, it's a it's a it's like a reading a book, you know, a good <laughs> yeah. album is like reading a book when you have great albums like you know the, the you know the Rise and Fall of a Ziggy Stardust. You can't really listen to that with just one song. Mm-hmm. You got that Bowie album. You got to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, and that's the way it's meant to be listened to. Um, and you know, there's some people today that can get, I think Kendrick Lamar can get people to listen to his whole project all the way through. There's some artists that can get people to do that in hip hop. It seems to be kind of, kind of popular where people actually listen to a hip hop album all the way through. Cause not, a lot of them have concepts like the Kendrick Lamar's of the world. Yeah. You know, they, they have, they have ideas that actually are a whole album, you know, but some of the other genres have kind of lost the fans uh attention (laughs) yeah well i also think that there's i mean i've talked to a bunch of other producers you know and there's also this mindset that you have to keep people's attention like that you're even there so you know creating an album like can take i i mean i don't know i've never done it but i would assume like a a year minimum (laughs) maybe yeah. like two years or something like this. And I think people get afraid of being silent for that long and really like working on that project. You know, I know a lot of electronic producers, they want to keep, keep putting on stuff so that they, they yeah. remind people yeah. that they're still there. So I think EPs have become yeah, much more, more popular yeah. or singles or, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm kind of an odd bird. Is I, I write so much. I, I have released like probably like 20 albums. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I've, I'm working on a new album right now, but I am doing a strategy of every song on the album is coming out as a single. On, 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 you know, I have two labels I'm working with, and I got an unlimited release uh, capability with one of the labels out of New York City. So every sing- single song I give them, they'll release. And then they're going to release one album that I'm going to combine all the songs that are that are fit a theme. But, you know, I've probably written like 30 songs for this record. And I'm probably only going to put out like 10 of them on the album. Mm-hmm. But but they, but all, they, all 30 might come out as singles. Oh, <laughs> just wow. Because, yeah. just, just because the way the market is what you described. The way the market is, is like if you can keep on putting them out, you, know, you kind of don't know which one's going to kick. So you, you put them all out and then see. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It, 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 and the record label was actually into that because they see the way the market's working. So, um, 
you know, I added it myself before I put it out, but that's the way things are going now. But a couple of years ago, I probably couldn't get a label to, to agree to do something like that. But in this market, they, they agree to it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think that's, it's exciting, but you know, I, I, I still got them to let me do one album. And so, um, the album is still there, you know, the, the format is still out there, but you have to kind of really have, have a strategy to kind of get it into people in hands. And, you know, you gotta, you want your fans to listen to the whole thing. So that's, that's, that's the big issue I think today. Yeah. Attention span. But you try to build a theme that will make people want to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I think that's the whole idea with an album. Like it's got to have like a consistent concept, or it just feels like you just threw a bunch of things together. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. Okay, well, what we do here um, is Anchor is actually associated with Spotify. Um, they're part of Spotify. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, we this podcast comes out on spotify but we also come out on apple podcast and stitcher radio public there's like 11 platforms we come out on uh so after we uh, finish with this this episode it will take like a night maybe an hour uh we're gonna put it up we'll send you the links and you can just send them to all you you know put the links up wherever you want um and uh you know it's cool thing about spotify is it allows you to like link to instagram oh we're gonna do yeah, what we're going to do on our uh, Instagram site, and you can do it with yours too, is you can actually create a highlight Yeah. That, that links to the podcast. Oh, cool. And then people can just click the highlight and it'll go right to the podcast. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, it's a good integration. It's like <laughs> without having to pay uh, advertising to get it to happen. It actually is like a clickable link on Instagram that you didn't have to pay for. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we'll get this out there and when you get closer to having your record, we've actually interviewed, um, several bands that when they have their album, um, we talk through like every track if you want to, like when you go to release Oh, cool. Uh, and we did that with Kendra Black on her album, The Fire. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll, um, yeah, if you're interested when you get closer to your new release, let us know or any of your releases and we can have you back on and you can kind of do a release episode. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thank you for, for coming on. We just talked to Evelyn Ka, and she's a producer, uh, singer-songwriter, and we're very excited that we, you came on the show, and uh, we hope you wish you best uh, of luck with your new projects and good success in everything you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Good night. Good night.